This morning we pick up our journey through Colossians with Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Some passages in Scripture, though filled with hope and promise, also possess a hard edge. For the truth that they proclaim isn't an easy one. We see this in our passage this morning. Paul talks about the suffering that he has undergone for the sake of the gospel, that the church in Colossae would have the opportunity to hear the truth about Jesus Christ and his love for them. He is overjoyed that they have received the message and and have been given faith. As we explore a little deeper this Lenten season, the reality of suffering, I pray that God would be at work in your hearts. He has certainly been at work in mine. Though I'm the stubborn one, and there is plenty of work yet to be done. Let's read the word of the Lord together this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Things don't always turn out the way that we expect, do they? In the early years of the church, there was a man named Ananias. He was going about his business, doing his regular thing, when the Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias, there's a gentleman in town, a fellow by the name of Saul, he's from Tarsus, and I want you to go see him. You'll find him praying in the house of Judas on Straight Street. Man, God even gave Ananias the address. But Ananias is not excited about this. Saul? Like, the Saul? God, do you know what you're asking? Do you understand what you're asking? This is the dude who was sworn to eradicate the church. Your church, I might add. He's come with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all of us. Are you sure you haven't made a mistake? Do you really want me to go to this Saul? Go, is the response from the Lord. For this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. Sometimes things don't work out the way that we expect. Ananias, despite his misgivings, was faithful and he went to the house of Judas on Straight Street. He laid his hands on Saul and prayed for him, telling him that God had sent him, that Saul might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible tells us that immediately something like scales fell from the eyes of Saul and he could see. He was baptized and, and after he had gained some of his strength, he went out and started preaching to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things don't always work out the way that we expect. It was true for those in the early church and it's true for us today as well. Sometimes things turn out better. Sometimes things turn out worse. You'd think that as God's chosen instrument of gospel proclamation, God would have paved an easy road for Saul, right? Then he would have made sure that he had all the creature comforts that he could want, that, that things would go well for him. He was, after all, God's chosen instrument to proclaim his most important message. Wouldn't it make sense to remove as many obstacles as possible so that the message might reach as many as possible? Again, things are not always what we would expect. For Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, is the author of our text this morning, and he starts off this particular portion with the words, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. The Christian walk is rarely what we expect. And some of that is due to the reality that even though we are walking with the Sovereign Lord, the Creator of the universe, the God of love, the anchor of our hope, even though God is all these things, when we are in relationship with Him, when we are in relationship with God, there is still suffering. The gospel is always spread through the hardship of its messengers. A persecuted church is a growing church, for often the failing of the church is our pursuit of comfort and power. The church is not functioning as God intended when the church seeks control and influence and rise in status. The protection and comfort that power and influence give the church begin to mean more than the protection and ultimately than the mission that God has called us to join him in. What I mean by this is that we get so focused on retaining power and control within cultural structures that our walk of faith becomes less about faith and the call God has placed in our lives and more about our own comfort. Persecution and suffering remove these false comforts we have protected ourselves with and leave us with nothing but faith, the truth of scripture and the mission that we have been given. The chaff is carried away on the winds of persecution and suffering, leaving behind the kernel of the church. Suffering exposes our idols, but it also prepares us for ministry. It's true of the church, and it's true of us individually as well. Often when we think of Christian suffering, our minds go straight to persecution, but our suffering in life as a church and as Christians, is not just limited to persecution, is it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, we read about the suffering of the Apostle Paul. Some of it is persecution for his faith and his message and who he was bringing that message to. And some of it is just plain old suffering. Let's read the passage this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Are they servants of the Christ? 
I am out of my mind to talk like this. I love that he says that. Like, that's just hilarious to me that that is actually in Scripture. Are they servants of Christ? You know, I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul talks about being beaten by both Gentiles and Jews. This would be persecution for his faith. He talks about being stoned and whipped and put in prison all for his faith and his message. Then he also mentions being shipwrecked three times. Many of us would very much like to never, ever experience a shipwreck. Like, that's something I don't necessarily want to have to go through. And if we were to have experienced a shipwreck, we'd be happy to survive it. And then we probably aren't ever expecting to step foot on a boat again. That's not something I'm doing. You crazy? Paul got shipwrecked three times. Big storm clouds on the horizon. You see Paul sitting on the deck. Well, here we go again. You kidding me? He spent a night and a day in the open sea. He's been in danger from rivers, from bandits. He's known hunger and thirst. Dude got bit by a snake. He's going without food. He's been cold. He's been naked. A little further along in 2 Corinthians, we get to the passage that Mario read for us this morning where Paul writes about how he has been given a thorn in the flesh. He pleads with the Lord that the Lord remove it. And he does, doesn't get the response that he's hoping for. He was... He wasn't being persecuted by some outside force, but he recognizes that the thorn was given to him to keep him from becoming conceited, to keep him from getting too full of himself, to help him battle against the sin that lives within him. Some of the things that Paul suffered, he suffered for the sake of the gospel, and some of the things that Paul suffered, he suffered because our world is broken. And in this world, whether we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior or not, we suffer But church, in our suffering, God pulls us closer to himself. One of the most controversial lines in the book of Colossians and possibly the New Testament and even the Bible is found in our text this morning. What do we do with the phrase we find in verse 24? I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. There's a lot of debate in theological circles as to what Paul meant here. Many books have been written on this statement, and we're not going to get into all of them this morning. But let's be clear on what he did not mean. Paul is not saying that his suffering completed Christ's work on the cross. We know that Paul does not believe this because he has written extensively here in Colossians and the rest of the New Testament about the sufficiency of Christ's atonement. Paul did not need to help with the atonement. He could not contribute to it. It was not missing some piece that only Paul could provide. No, the atonement for sin was Christ's work alone, solus Christus. 
So that's what we don't want to take from this verse. But what can we take from this verse? What the majority of scholars agree on is that a close identification develops between Christ and the church, between Christ and Christians, through suffering. Believers grow through their personal suffering. We don't necessarily like to hear this. It's not enjoyable. But neither of those two realities make it any less true. Through suffering, God expands our faith, our witness, and our ministry. And let me tell you, that is hard. It is hard, but it is also beautiful. After Karen and I lost Ava, we began to realize that a new area of ministry had opened for us. An area of ministry that we never wanted. An area of ministry that we don't wish on anyone. We could now empathize with those who had experienced loss through stillbirth and miscarriage. I remember lying in bed holding each other and just crying. Mourning that this was now part of our story and that ultimately this would now be part of our ministry. On a selfish and real level, though we knew that God could use us in a new and tangible way, it angered me. Yes, I want to help people. But I was not excited about having to relive those hurts over and over in order to do it. And that's how I felt about it until a dear friend of mine called me up. And he told me how his wife had just miscarried. They hadn't told anybody that she was even pregnant. He was numb and he was hurting. And he didn't know how to process the emotions he was feeling, but he knew, he knew that he could talk to me because I could relate, because I knew the pain. And he needed a brother in Christ who could sit with him and cry with him. I didn't have to ensure him that, that I could empathize with him. I, I really didn't say much at all. I mostly just sat there listening and crying. And I'm not going to lie, man, that was hard. It was hard and it brought up the hurts that I've buried. It reminded me of the hurts that some hurts just never really go away. But church, it was also beautiful. Though it hurt, it was a privilege to sit on the phone with my brother and love on him and support him. And even over great distances, I could be with him in that way. Barely said a word, but I didn't need to. He knew I could relate in that. That was enough. Hurt and suffering opened doors of ministry that never would have existed without them. God allows us to experience suffering that we might proclaim his gospel all the more effectively. And that's not fun. Like, we don't, we don't want to hear that. But it's true. Though you are hurting, though you may at times feel abandoned, God will use the suffering that you are experiencing to help you proclaim the gospel all the louder. In the last century, Alexander White of Edinburgh wrote a message to a discouraged pastor. Now the words he wrote are to a pastor, but they are true to all who are suffering and involved in the Lord's mission. 
They are true of all in the church. This is what Wright White wrote. He said, The angels around the throne envy your great work. Go on and grow in grace and power as a gospel proclaimer. Church, what an image. We toil and we struggle and suffer. And we have all the force of heaven behind us urging us on. Envious of the position that God has given each one of us to proclaim his love and his grace to the nations. We have been given an amazing message. The message of a God who became a man, a God who suffered alongside man, who got to know us, though we are, were unworthy, are unworthy of him, who loves us though we haven't earned it, who loves us so much that though he himself was perfect, he took all of our sin upon himself. And in order to make us right with God, in order to reconcile us, terrible sinners, with the perfection of the righteous God, in order to repair that relationship, he took all of our sin on himself and he died with it. He took the scorn and the abandonment of his father in our place and he died. But three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And so when we believe in him, when we have faith in him, we are reconciled to the Father. Through the faith that we have been given, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And when God looks at us, when we believe in Jesus and God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. For that has all been forgiven. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ that we have been freely given. What a message, what a gospel, what a truth, what hope. Our text this morning calls this message, calls the gospel a mystery that has been revealed and that it is the hope of glory. Every one of us has hurts and suffering. Some of us have experienced and are currently experiencing health issues. Some of us have lost loved ones to sickness and disease. Some of us have been trapped in addiction. Some of us have experienced the deep pain of divorce. We have dealt with depression and anxiety. Some of us have endured abuse. I don't know what you're going through or have gone through. I do not know the extent of your personal journey, your personal battle, your suffering. But I do know that God did not put you through it because he stopped loving you or to toy with you. You didn't cross some line for the last time. You didn't annoy him with your prayer life or your lack of one. You, didn't, you cannot add to your atonement. And God's wrath was poured out on Jesus, not on you. Your suffering is not a representation of God's feelings towards you. And as we rest in those truths, let us not forget that our God uses what was meant for evil for good. Let us remember that God does not cause suffering, though he does allow it. And let us remember that he draws us to himself in our suffering. For though life is full of suffering, we do not suffer alone, for Christ suffers with us. We see this clearly in the part of the story that Ananias did not get to be privy to. For this is what Jesus tells the zealot Saul on the road to Damascus when a bright light shines down on him, blinding him, and the voice of Jesus speaks to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was being persecuted in the body of his followers, the bodies of his followers. They were not alone. God had not abandoned them to the persecution, the wrath of the Jews. Jesus suffered with his people. Later in his ministry, Paul became intimately aware of this, for he suffered greatly. 
When God had finished commissioning Ananias to step into the proverbial lion's den, to go to Straight Street and to meet the face of persecution himself, God finished the statement with this phrase, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We can each be very thankful that the vast majority of us will not suffer to the extent that Paul suffered. We aren't going to be beaten with physical rods and whips by those who oppose our message and those who receive it. Though we may endure assaults verbally or through text on occasion. We aren't going to be shipwrecked or bitten by snakes or stranded at sea. But though our suffering is different, the truth of how God uses suffering is the same. Our hope is the same. Our message is the same. Paul suffered that the message of Jesus Christ might be brought and proclaimed to those who had never heard it before. And God used his suffering to the great benefit of the church. And if you will let him, God will use your suffering to the great benefit of the church. Just as he did the Apostle Paul. And just as he did, an old blind woman in a village in Africa. Some years ago, a woman in Africa became a Christian. Being filled with gratitude, she decided she wanted to be part of the ministry of the missionary in town. But she was blind, uneducated, and 70 years of age. She came to her missionary with her French Bible, and she asked the missionary to underline John 3.16 in red ink. Mystified, the missionary watched her as she took the Bible, marked with that red ink, and sat in front of the boys' school in the afternoon. When the school was dismissed, she would call a boy or two to ask them if they knew French. When they proudly responded that they did, she would say, please read the passage underlined in red. When they did, she would ask, do you know what this means? And she would tell them about Christ. The missionary in that town says that over the years, 24 young men became pastors because of the work of that blind, uneducated 70-year-old woman. You may not be suffering blindness. But know that God is seeking to use the journey that you have been through to further his kingdom. You may not feel worthy. Good. None of us are. But how we feel about God's love towards us and our worthiness to be involved in his mission is inconsequential. What matters is... What matters is God and what his thoughts and intentions are. And church, he hasn't made those incredibly clear. When Paul asked the Lord for his thorn to be removed, how did God respond? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Church, God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for us, for his power is made perfect in our weakness. Know that God loves you and cares for you. Know that he has the ability to use the hurt and the pain that you are experiencing and have experienced to minister to someone else. Know that God has a purpose for you in his mission and a place for you in his kingdom. Know that you are loved. Church, know that you are forgiven. Be encouraged that as you go out in the grace that God has poured out over you, in the mission that he has called to you, and as you endure suffering, know that Jesus is with you, 
suffering with you. And that he has a plan to use that suffering to bring about kingdom work. There is hope in our suffering. And know that the heavenly host is cheering you on. And envious of the work that God has given you to do. And that ultimately, God will do through you. What a fantastic and amazing God that we serve. Amen.